0: Yeah, our culture stigmatizes self-care, seeking help, or having a fake life. Like, what people think it's dorky or nerdy or whatever. And that's a problem in our professions, the first responders and the veterans.
1: And yet we want it to be, you know... Rainbows, butterflies and sunshine and everything, but realistically, in the days of Joseph, right, people were saved because of a drought. right? so maybe maybe this is an answer to prayer, what we're going through here, and I can say personally, I have seen let's see, two people come to a saving knowledge of Christ, one person rededicate themselves. And another one that I've just been watching grow over time and the people that I'm seeing being saved right now, I don't think would have been if it wasn't for the hard times that this country's gone through. But I'm also a big eschatology guy. So I think, well, this is this has to happen because of what's coming. So I, I don't know.
2: Well, I think, I mean, Mike, Mike mentioned, you know, the Jesus movement, right? Calvary Chapel is coming out of out of a need. And I remember I've mentioned it in in other podcasts before, you know, talking to my father who came to salvation, his walk with the Lord with Jesus Christ and his life in high school back during the, you know, 60s. And um, it was all about love and sex and drugs and everything else you could do. And that was what they were looking and living for. And he met Christ and realized that Christ was everything he needed, right? And the fulfillment that he was looking for to in, in all these other things that the world offered him were leaving him empty and dry. And so it was at, at that moment of despair and emptiness that he found Christ that filled his life gave him purpose and gave him, you know, a look forward. Um, and I think for so long, we've had it so well, Um, be be it, you know, as a nation and as a people. And, and now we're realizing we're not, Um, you know, I, I truly believe there's, there's bigger things behind the whole um, forcing the vaccination on cops and forcing the vaccination on our first responders. If we, if we get them out of the way, then chaos can arise and we have no way to, to prevent it from happening, right? I mean, if, if we remove the very people that are the protectors from the evil, then evil has its full reign. And so I, I think there's, you know, I, I saw it a little bit in Colorado. They were talking about defund the police and they were going to remove SROs out of the school and, you know, um, defund police didn't take off in a lot of the, the communities because they were like, no, we, we love the police. We want the police there. If you, if you take them, you know, defunding them is going to take away their training and then they're not going to be able to do the job that we're having. And that's why we're at the problems that we're having, right? Because a lack of training. So, well, training costs money. So uh, let's train the officers correctly. Let's train the people correctly. Let's, let's get them what they need. Well, that costs money. So what's one other way to defund the police? Well, let's take away their powers. Let's take away the other things. And now if we force them to get a vaccine, well, hey, we're going to there's going to be a lot they're going to walk away. So I mean, I I I I think there's a lot of stuff going on that uh I am not privy to and I don't know. I just have that feeling in the back of my mind. Um but again coming back to, you know, mental health and uh officers livelihood and and their their health and in what they eat and how we talked about sleep um you know we need to be pushing these things and and matt you mentioned it you know our chaplains need to be trained in, in these things and i think that um you know it would be neat to see more of that right more support in getting our chaplains and our officers uh the the necessary um training that they need, you know, as a, as an ordained pastor. And as a, as a police officer, um, you know, I've had plenty of conversations with guys I've worked with and um, you know, they, they say, Hey, you know, heart, I, I I'd like some advice. And I always come to him and I, and I, I laid out before him and say, what advice do you want? Police officer heart's advice or <laughs> pastor hearts, right? Because I'll give you advice but which one do you want? Um, and I let them choose and, you know, more than none it's, I want pastor Hart's advice. Okay. And so here's the foundation upon which I'm giving you advice from, and it's the word of God. So you can be angry with me or you, we can work through it, but this is the foundation. I think that's so necessary. Um, and I've just found being in the trenches with them gives them, uh, a little bit more respect and a little more trust in, in the words that you, that you bring. And have you seen that um, being true for you as a chaplain, um, you know, being involved in being, being with them, has that given you more opportunities to share with them or has it hindered? Oh, <laughs> I talk to the very,
0: I mean, I feel like I'm an Island when I'm with, other chaplains per se, because cops from each of the agencies, and I I worked with so many different agencies through the nonprofit and through the rehab centers that I've also volunteered for. Most cops are like, I didn't know we had chaplains, or I've met the chaplain, and they're a dork, or they only go to have breakfast with the captain, or they only pray at events, So they're so detached that nobody's going to use them or trust them. If if I see you once a year and you talk to the chief or the captain, like that doesn't build rapport and trust with the troops. Um, And you don't same with therapists and chaplains, if you don't understand what I do. So for the most part, most cops tell me they don't even know who their chaplains are. And they've just seen them at events praying um, or hanging out with supervisors or you show up at a critical incident once or twice a year. And there's a lot of times I asked for chaplains when I was a cop, when I really needed them for something like a murder of a Hispanic family that nobody spoke English and I I needed some help, they're not available. I mean, honestly, I think there's a stereotype for a lot of ordained clergy that think it's sexy to say you're a police or a fire chaplain, right? Because one of the agencies that I'm with my ex-girlfriend whom I'm very close to because uh, she has two children. They're not my stepkids, but I am the father figure. So we remain good friends. She works at a hospital and sent me the announcement of their new full-time lead chaplain. And it mentioned one of the departments that I work for that I have a connection with you through. And I'm like, I've never heard of that guy, but here he is with an MDiv and maybe a PhD in theology and in charge of chaplaincy at a hospital and probably making big bucks but he thinks it's sexy to say that he's a police chaplain on there. But I've never heard of him. Sure as heck, the cops never heard of him. So, I mean, I've had to work very hard to get cops to even be slightly open to maybe talking about deeper things. And that is doing the ride-alongs, attending the trainings, doing station visits. And and I'm fortunate that I can still work out and shoot with them. I know not every chaplain is going to be able to do that. But I think you should incorporate a lot of academy type training, maybe citizen academy training to give them more of that component. They also need um, to consider not everybody having to be ordained clergy. There's a lot of great retired first responders and veterans that would automatically know the culture and it would give them meaning in their life to be connected to the community. Like I still am. I get a lot of meaning to still be connected to cops and firemen and veterans. And if they have a heavy ministry experience in their life, they can do a lot of good. Right. So and maybe there needs to be some other chaplain type training programs that could give people some more ministry tools. And again, we talked about the ministry of presence. I'm a certified spiritual director. A lot of people don't even know what that is. But those schools are I did an additional two year school in that. But there's some really good training and active listening and trying to ask the right questions to help people maybe become more aware of God showing up in their daily life. I think you can take components from some basic counseling skills, basic spiritual direction, and create some training programs to teach lay Christians that have a experience in ministry and experience as first responders and veterans. And and they would want to be around more, right? They have the time. They'd want to be around more. So I think we should open up depending on the agency who can be a chaplain. And then we have to have people that are more culturally competent and you have to spend time with them like,
2: yeah, I agree. And I think one of my prayers, and I think kind of the, the, the draw that Mike and I had uh, to join up with Adam was, you know, one way we could fix that as well. And I think that's from the inside is encouraging those believers uh, those guys who have faith and those guys who who are being plugged into the word and doing these things to to stand up, right? And to not be ashamed of the gospel in their life. Um, you know, I I have at, been asked tons of questions, especially since I've, I've moved to Florida. It's like, why? Why did you leave? And what are you doing down here? And my first response, and I have no fear in saying this, uh, is, hey, I'm down here helping start a church. Um, And that is exactly why I moved down to Florida was to help uh, a buddy of mine from Bible College um, plant a church here in West Bradenton. On top of that, I work for a sheriff's office down here. And so so people ask me, why did you move down here? And I say, to plant a church. And you're still working? Absolutely, because I'm not done with law enforcement yet. And because I see the need for it. And I think if if also we as Christians or as, as spiritual people in there, right? And, and I put, um, you know, I know quite a few Catholics who are Bible believing in Christ um, salvation, where I would say, hey, rise up, speak up, live the way that, that your Bible tells you to live. Live the way that God has called you to live. And be that influence to the officers near you and be ready to listen, give that ear, hear where they're going, look for those signs, right? Like we talk about peer support and 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 these things. They're so important. Um, and I believe that every one of us has been called to that. And I think as a church, we have we have become lazy and pew sitters where we're not being those warriors that God's called us to be, right? We're not being prepared and ready. We're not reading books. We're not getting the sleep we need to be able to be helps in, in other people's lives. I mean, I, I think if, if we think of, of the agencies you're involved with how many of those men and women that you come in contact with, how many do have a faith and are keeping you know the lid on it? Well, I think it's time for us to pop that lid and, and let our voices be heard. There's a lot of Christian cops. I've heard their stories,
0: not as a chaplain, just my friends throughout the country that'll be like, hey, um, somebody came to the station and gave out Bibles. And I saw the people that took them. And one of them was like my good friend on my shift. And so later that night we talked and I had no idea that he was a Christian and I'm a Christian. Now, something else I wanted to say, I became a cop because I was discerning between full-time ministry. And at that time I was discerning being a Catholic priest or going to get my PhD in psychology and be a psychologist. And after a long discernment process, I was, and I still wanted action because I wanted to be a SWAT or an SF guy. You know, I became a cop instead of a federal agent. Cause I thought I wanted to be a fed and that's a whole other long story. um, Why there's reasons why I was like, it's not what I thought it was. But I thought becoming a cop was the greatest way to do ministry because everybody is hurting and in need. You have victims and criminals. And a lot of times the criminals, as much as you know, I want people to have consequences for crime so it's a deterrent to change their behavior, well, often these people are growing up without fathers in communities where they're not getting mentoring and they're not getting what I got growing up, you know, only by the grace of God, I had mom and dad, and communities, and teachers, and coaches, and opportunities that taught me how to walk a certain way. Um, But you want to do ministry, become a cop or a fireman, because everybody's hurting. And one of my favorite quotes has always been, preach the gospel at all times. When absolutely necessary, use words. You make a bigger impression on people by how you live your life, how you walk the talk, more so than like preaching to them. And people know if, while." In my case, at least, in some cases, people know who the religious cop is, right? They know you're, some of them know, hey, you're the pastor. It's how you carry yourself on your calls and around the station that's going to make the biggest impression on another officer that maybe a year from now they do come to you to -hmm. talk about their faith or talk about their marriage or talk about depression or whatever it is. Um, So I think, man, if you're a Christian and you're a cop, there's no greater place to do ministry. You're I dealing agree. with addictions and violence. And just go on down the, the list of the calls we are doing. These are hurting people that need love and respect and to be listened to and not feel like they're being judged. And, and I don't care if it's a five or a 10 minute call. You give somebody an attentive ear and they know you're paying attention. Whether it's a victim or a criminal, you're driving to jail. Like you can make a big impression by being authentic and being a good
2: listener, and showing people love and respect. Absolutely. I I remember uh, one of the agencies I hired, or tried to get on in California, um, in my oral board, um, I had a sergeant from unsaid location um, ask me, because he saw my background, and I've been in church work since I was 18 years old. So So that is my passion that is my heart i have my degree in theology um just out of pure wanting my own life to to be bettered but i had him ask me as he looked at my file and said well you're a pastor what what business does a pastor have being a cop and i was like well thank you for asking that and and i went through the line and i said well i have a question for you as a police officer. I said, have you dealt with domestic violence? And he said, yes. I said, so have I as a, as a pastor. And he says, and I asked him, I said, so, okay, next, uh, as a, as a police officer, you've dealt with child abuse. And he said, yes. And I said, well, so have I as a pastor. And, and we went down the line, uh, deaths. Yep. As same with me. And I said, so what, tell me, is there a difference between a police officer and a pastor? Um, uh, the difference is you have a badge and you could do something about the violators or the evil. Um, as a pastor, I have to call the cops, right? I have to bring these in, but I am still there for my victims and still there for the one hurting and still there also for the, the evil that has gone forth because ultimately they, they can also be restored. Um, and so I totally agree with that. That's the mindset that I want, you know, believers in this line of work, in first responder work to realize um, we are we are the you might be the very last person to see someone when they take their last breath. And and how are you going to handle that and how are you going to be able to comfort someone at that moment if you yourself haven't been comforted? By God, who created us um, and and to be able to be in that platform that 's why I said i wasn't done with law enforcement I don 't think God uh, was yet done with me in this profession um, and i'll continue to do it as he, as He calls me to do it, and that's the encouragement right that that we have men like you who are willing to step in and to encourage us to be better ourselves and to you know be ready. But also for the believers in this line of work, step up and be ready, you know, listen and, and do well to prove yourself ready for the work of the ministry, because that's what we're in.
1: Yeah, well, the hard rock band, uh thousand foot crutch said light shines brighter in the dark. So there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, uh, just to uh, switch gears here for just a minute. Uh, I guess kind of go back to where we were at. What do you, what do you do for yourself for uh, your own wellness? Because in my experience with some of my friends, uh, chaplains have as much and probably more trauma than than the than the officers they serve.
0: Um, I don't know. I don't know about that. I hear a lot of stuff. Depending on who I'm listening to, I hear deep, dark stuff, but definitely this is for every one of us. As much as you serve, you have to have self-care and you have to fill your well up or you can't give anybody a a drink, right? And this is a problem with anybody in a helping profession. This is the medical profession. This is therapists. This is cops. This is firemen. You have to have self-care and you have to do things for self-growth all the time. So, I mean, I, me personally, like, I've had a lifestyle, like I eat really strict compared to most people. I've always had a lifestyle that has a lot of fitness and exercise. I used to do before COVID uh, yoga and martial arts and different meditation groups and different uh, contemplative prayer groups. And I'll be totally honest. COVID, especially L.A., cut off all my fellowship. Churches shut down. Yoga shut down. Thank God. For the longest time i was at a gym that trained professional athletes because i used to be a coach and do the sports psych and we snuck in and i got to train all through it and it just recently shut down but then i started training at the police departments um i i used to go to counseling every week and do an hour of neurofeedback so an hour of counseling an hour of meditation and neurofeedback where they're measuring your brain waves but that got shut down with covid and i did continue Uh, Counseling for a while over Zoom, but I got sick of it. I also used to regularly be in different. Like I'm done with LMU. That's where I got my master's in theology. I did an additional two-year spiritual direction school, but like I did another year-long certificate through LMU that I was one full Saturday a month, where you had reading and homework, and then you went and listened to a spiritual author, and then had small group. That went to Zoom and had to finish on Zoom that year, and then the courses of been shut down. Um, But I try to continually sign up for educational things. Um, I read a lot. I do at least like a half hour of silent prayer in the morning. And then I try to do, and I consider there's different ways of praying and meditating, but like meditation, journaling, therapy, the thing I called spiritual direction. I also used to go get to bother my favorite professor at LMU who was my spiritual director. Even when I graduated every Monday night, I'd go to his office hours that ended when they went to online too, because he lives like two hours away, but having mentors, elders, having fellowship and community for me, the nutrition, the exercise, um, the reading, And, you know an acronym popped in my head, you know, there's an acronym from my favorite professor called PEPS, and it's prayer, exercise, play, study, and try to balance your life with prayer. And you can broadly define prayer as things that remind you of the presence of God or help you experience the gifts of the spirit. Because a lot of times people think prayer is limited to, right, if I'm Catholic, it's the memorized prayers. If I'm evangelical, what's the five things like praise? petitions like we think a lot of times we get stuck in our heads and think that's the only thing prayer can be. So there's broader horizons about what spending time in the presence of God exercises, is taking care of your physical body, play, getting in touch with your inner child, being able to laugh and not take yourself so seriously. And I can have a problem with that. Sometimes I'm like ultra alpha sh- mm-hmm. want to be perfect at different things. So I love animals and children. And in my neighborhood, they call me the dog whisperer. There's all these little tiny dogs that I give massages to every day, and people knock on my door. I go to my ex girlfriend's house, and the dog snuggles up with me, and I forget about everything, you know? And so uh, play, stay in touch with their inner child, and study, do something intellectually to keep growing. So prayer, exercise, play, study. Um, That's a quick way to think about how can I balance my day or my week? And devote a little bit to each of those things. So we can keep feeding ourselves. So we can either just listening to other people's trauma or heartache or whatever you're doing when you're serving other people takes energy. And um, we can't be as authentic if we're just grinding. And we do this as cops and we do this as men where we think self-care. Self-care is not selfish. People should remember that. And also other quotes I usually throw out. If you don't heal what hurts you, you will bleed on people that did not cut you. Hmm. And pain that is not transformed is transmitted. So what are you dealing with your stress? What are you doing with your pain? And that says, look back at your life and what, what difficult times in your life are you still holding on to that you can't let go of that you didn't learn the lesson from that, whether it's therapy or pastoral counseling or spiritual direction or Or getting in small groups and working through the adversity you've experienced in your life, Um, I'm rambling on about a whole bunch of things. I don't even know if I answered your question, but no, you did.
1: It's great. It's great, and it. it, What I mean, it it makes me think about David. You know, I mean, if we bring this back to being biblical, uh, a a lot of what you're talking about we see in David's life, right? I mean, maybe we should be more like David, except don't sleep with some married woman and kill her husband. But you know, um, I mean. David, you talked about journaling. Uh, David wrote the Psalms, right? I mean, talk about a man after God's own heart. And we, we look at journaling now and, and guys will turn up their noses at it like, I can't do that. And that's like a, that's like a little teenager's diary or something. No, 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 no. That's David journaled. Okay. Uh, George Washington journaled and talk about a friggin' man. You know, that's a man's man right there. They just called it memoirs back then, right? Um, you talked about meditation. David said, I meditate on the law day and night. Um, it's totally biblical. Meditation doesn't mean you have to cross your legs funny, make weird symbols with your hands and, and, you know, do this mantra or whatever. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the mantra, but, you know, I have I've done the meditating. In fact, I looked it up on YouTube. This is kind of funky. I looked up Christian meditations and, uh, you know, there were some mornings when I was going through a hard time. I'd plug that into my ears. And I would just sit there, just silent, motionless, just kind of pay attention to my breathing. And I'd let that thing play over through my mind for 10 minutes. And um, a lot of what you're talking about, for some reason, and I don't know when this happened, but for some reason, at some point, it became, uh, I don't know, full power. You know, it was like, you cannot do this and be a man. You have to just suffer in silence and suck it up, buttercup. And it's like, no, 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 no. Where did that happen? Because generations past, they did this stuff, they just maybe didn't have a name for it or understand that that's what they were doing. So I don't warrior have- cultures, including the Spartans and the Samurai,
0: balance the yin and the yang. You you do we need our fitness, our fighting and our shooting and our defensive tactics, all that. But we also need to take care of our head, which is our thought life, our heart, which is our feelings and our emotions. And our bodies, and not just the physical fitness, but the recovery, the sleep, the nutrition, massage, acupuncture, sauna, uh, cryotherapy, float tank. Yeah, our culture stigmatizes self-care, seeking help, or having a faith life like what people think is dorky or nerdy or whatever. And that's a problem in our professions, the first responders and the veterans. So. It's great when I, I read about a navy SEAL or a green bray that meditates or does yoga or is I, I'm not a vegetarian, but he's doing a vegetarian diet. Well, good. Maybe that gives somebody else permission that if a green bray is doing it or a SWAT guy's doing it, then I can do it. I I wish just in our in our in our own ways, I hope each one of us can be hey you don't have to be the preachy cop. And a lot of times that turns people off and people that may have been previously traumatized by organized religion or somebody telling you, you shouldn't have PTSD because if you just did an altar call and went to church on Sunday, then seeing the dead kid would never bother you. That's not true either, but be a man of faith without having to be preachy, but be the cop that's proactive and makes good arrests and respects people in the station and doesn't gossip and, hits the gym, whether you're a bodybuilder, powerlifter, CrossFit, Olympic lifting, whatever it is, be be a strong man, but show that you can have a faith life and also have an emotional life and be vulnerable. Like be on a call instead of saying, suck it up. Like when you see a car accident and a couple family members die, it's okay to go back in the locker room or when you turn it in paper and be like, that sucks. That broke my heart. That reminds me of my family. Hmm. Right. Instead of suck it up, man, if, if you can't take this, this this ain't for you. That's then you're not being a human. You're not being real when you're saying the things you see as a cop or a firefighter or what our men have seen in combat. You can't be emotional in the moment because you have a job to do, but you need to armor down myself and some colleagues that used to put on retreats. Dr. John Becknell um, and some other people we put on retreats. We call it the armor down routine. What do you do on the drive home and when you get home to get off of that adrenaline and cortisol high and do something physiologically to relax? And then how do you become more aware of your thinking and your feeling and then reflect on it? Because I'll give a generic definition of spirituality. How are you living out the values most important to you, your values and beliefs? So if you're religious, how are you living that out? How do you relate to your community? How do you relate to humanity? How do you relate to your higher power or God? And how do you find meaning in adversity and darkness? So you can reflect on your life, whether it's every night after a shift or once a week, and think back to the different encounters you've had on the job and with your family and with your friends, and be honest with yourself and accountable. And you can do this through journaling too. Am I living out the life and the values and the beliefs of my faith or whatever the pillars I say of, of, are of my life. Am I, am I being who I say I am, or am I the hypocrite? How am I relating to my community and humanity? Am I focusing on how we differentiate us against them? very dualistic thinking, which is what the politicians, the media and social media is training us to do, rather than let's look at what I have in common with everyone, right? And I know cops and firemen more than anyone. The public doesn't get this. The most compassionate people I've met are cops and firemen that work in the freaking ghetto and see the worst of humanity day in and day out. They see it more than these people voting that are virtue signaling. And they have more compassion than these people will ever understand because they are in the trenches of life's most intense and darkest experiences. So how can you not be spiritual if you're a cop, a fireman, or a veteran? Sometimes, they, people won't want to say I'm spiritual, but I, I think most of the men and women I know in these professions are, because they've seen quote the real, real of life. And we we just got to keep working on destigmatizing whether it's the faith life or mental health or taking better care of yourself, rather than you're the badass because I only slept three hours last night and I had McDonald's and three bangs and a black rifle coffee, and you're the cool guy in the shift because you talk about how little you take care of yourself or you're on your third, why do we laugh when cops and firemen get divorces and talk about their on the job girlfriend? And I'm not saying judge them, right? Because these are often hurting and stressed out people that are self-medicating. So I'm not saying judge and preach them, but like, hey dude, that's actually, it's not funny. Like what's going on, man? And do it off to the side, not in front of other people. Why are you on your third marriage at 30 years old? Or why do you need an on the job girlfriend? And why are we laughing at this stuff? I've seen it my whole life around first responders and veterans. People let this sarcasm and this macho stigma stuff like go by without stepping up. And I'm not saying step up and be confrontational, but just like, no, that call should have broke your heart, man. That sucked.
1: Mm -hmm. No, you're right. A lot of those, uh, you know, we, we, we would call them maybe doing something stupid or something like that. A lot of that is crying for help, dude. It's, it's, it's showing that, man, there's something not right with me. And I don't know how to deal with it. So I'm, exactly. de- I'm doing stupid things to try and deal with it. So, uh, Matt, I think we're going to have to have you back on here again at some point because uh, my wife has texted me to come down and make burgers.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to go to bed.
1: Yeah, you oh, do. Oh, right. Yeah, Florida time there. So, uh, Matt, would you do us the honor of uh, praying us out before we kick this yeah. kick this off? Yeah.
0: Dear God, thank you so much for this fellowship time, man. It's really great to fellowship with other first responders and people doing chaplaincy work, and having some of the very unique winks from you with the the big connection here that the crowd doesn't know about, but uh, we do. There's some really good connections here. Please bless our night and our rest. And please pray for every man and woman working the streets right now as police officers and firefighters and our members of the military overseas. And Lord, help us, you know, encourage and keep each other accountable and improve the role modeling and destigmatizing of faith life. And that self-care isn't selfish. And how can we continue to grow in our own lives and, and use the adversity and the darkness to become closer to you. Often that stuff chips away at our ego and allows more room for you and for wisdom into our lives. So it's not that you're, that you're causing pain or that we're being punished, you know, because we're not tithing or going to church or things like that. We often think like bad things happen to good people and first responders are going to be exposed to trauma and evil and, I hope we can lean into it and everybody can learn more about what's called, you know, post-traumatic growth. You know, we grow closer to you and we do our spiritual, emotional, psychological weightlifting with the adversity and the difficulties on the job. And we see what lesson is in it, even though it's not pleasant, it's not comfortable. There's a lesson in it and it allows us to lean on you more. I mean, in the rearview mirror, we could all look back on our lives and the pain and the suffering often is an opportunity for us to you know, grow closer to you and learn lessons that we can share with other people that are going to end up experiencing similar things to us. So please pray for all first responders, all of our members in the military, all our veterans, and just thank you for this time of fellowshipping and getting to discuss some of these things. In your name, I pray. Amen.
1: Man. Hey, Matt, is there a way for people to, to uh, connect with you?
0: Yeah, um, somebody bought me the website, tacticalchaplain.com. So <laughs> I was like, oh, that sounds whatever, but people seem to like it. So thank God. So tacticalchaplain.com. I'm also an ordained missionary through the nonprofit Global Associates. So I think if you go to globalassociates.org and you look up affiliates and look for my name, Matt Damiansik. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um and thin blue line spirituality on Instagram.
1: Cool. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, I know Josiah does. Just kind of funny the way things work out that way. But uh, anyway, uh, for the listeners, um, if this has been any benefit to you, uh, please do like and subscribe. Those stupid algorithms. That's how they work, and that's how uh, that's how this can reach a few more people. Uh, Anyway, in the meantime, we will catch you next time.